And in three, two, one. Hello and welcome to another episode of Guide to the Grind. My name is Jeff Eady. Joining me today, as always, is one of Canada's favorite mortgage brokers, the Oh, gosh, I didn't think of it before I came on, Jonathan. I always have one queued up. The chocolate chips to my uh, cookie. Mr. Jonathan <laughs> Tilger. Jonathan, how are you today? Not bad for, for on the fly. <laughs> Sir, I'm just used to you always being so prepared there that that's why I'm cracking up because like, holy smokes, the first time I've seen you stall on that intro. <laughs> I am phenomenal, Jeff. How about yourself? I'm good. Normally, I think about that first thing in the morning. I get it queued up, but I'm really excited about today's guest. So that's a great segue into introducing her. Uh, with us today, we have the Director of Funding at Secured Investment Corp., a fund manager with one of the largest growing companies in, pri in the private money marketplace in the U.S., focusing on residential real estate investments. She is passionate about helping her self-employed, uh, helping self-employed entrepreneurs and their families build wealth and succeed in their business ventures and helping investors deploy capital that is looking for a high-yielding passive investment backed by residential real estate. She has been a real estate investor. Uh, uh, she has seen real estate investors succeed and fail and is committed to tipping the scale to the side of success for everyone that she can. Please welcome to the show, Heather Dreaves. Heather, how are you today? Wow, I'm great. That's quite the introduction. It makes me sound probably a little more important than I really am. <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> uh, fantastic. So, Heather, why don't you uh, start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got involved with Secure, uh, I'm sorry, Secure Capital Investments Corp? Is that uh, Secured Investment Corp? Secured Investment Corp. How about you tell us a little bit about your origin Absolutely. story to get us started? Well, my path was interesting. Um, I didn't know anything about private money um, and uh, kind of fell into it by chance uh, about 19 years ago. Uh, I had a friend that worked for a private money lender and uh, was like, hey, why don't you come to work for us? You know, we had my husband and I have two young adult boys and, you know, it was important for us for one of us to be home with them. So once they were in school, I was quickly bored. Uh, and uh, this friend of mine was like, hey, come to work for me. I'd done some other sales jobs with him. And I, I literally had no idea what private money was. I honestly, my parents taught me that when you bought a house, you went to your mortgage broker. So we'd call Jonathan up and get a mortgage. And when you had money to invest, you'd call your money manager and trust that he was doing the right thing and deploy your capital. And you would probably be happy with getting five or 6% returns. And I just didn't know there was another world out there. And so went to went to work for a, another private lender and and I, I was mind blown. I was like, what do you mean? Like if you have the right deal and the numbers make sense, there's people out there that have capital that are deploying it outside of the stock market and your traditional sources. And as long as the deal made sense, they were a much easier to deal with than mostly a bank and especially on you know, deals where you're adding value, right? You're rehabbing a house, it's distressed, you're going to increase the value. You know, it was difficult to get financing for that, for all of it. Maybe you could get the purchase price, but you probably were going to have to bring in the rehab funds and quickly discovered that instead of trying to just put all your eggs in one deal, get it done and sell it, you could have four or five deals going if you were using private lending. Um, and then was exposed to the investor side of it. So there were these people within this company that had money to invest and were looking to diversify outside of the stock market. And they liked real estate, but they didn't necessarily want to own a, a rental and deal with tenants and toilets. And they didn't want to rehab a house, but they wanted their money working in that kind of asset class. And I mean, these people were getting 10 to 12% on their money. And I'm going, how am I just hearing about this? I'm 25 years old. And why is nobody ever, you know, but the funny thing about it, it's a secret society, especially then, you know, I would tell these clients like, Hey, why don't you refer some friends? They're like, I don't want to tell anybody about this because then there's not enough deals to go around. And I'm going, this is so bizarre. It was like the twilight zone, but um, honestly, I, I just, it was fascinating to me. And so, you know, fast forward 19 years, I came to Secured Investment Corp 11 years ago. Honestly, I got through the 2008 market and cleaned up my investors' portfolios. I, I made a commitment to them that, you know, I would see them through to the end. And if you were in the market then, everybody came out with some bumps and bruises. Um, and I was going to get out. I was like, I can't deal with this. Like, I don't want to ever go through that again. And then was lured in. Um, our CEO is a very good salesman. I, I honestly 
I went to meet him for the fourth time and I, I walked out the door and I told my husband, this guy's nuts. Like he will not take no for an answer. I'm telling him, no, I'm not going to work for him. And I came home and my husband's like, how did it go? I go, I don't know. I accepted the job. (laughs) (laughs) Our CEO will tell people she was the hardest person to recruit, but it was like, you know, I wasn't sure that I wanted to get back into it. Um, But you guys know, like one real estate is addicting. Like you get a taste of it and you'll do a fix and flip. And it's like, I'm never doing that again. And 30 days later, you're making another offer on a deal. (laughs) And, you know, I get a lot of satisfaction working with my passive clients and I have everything from high, high net worth people with lots of money that, you know, aren't depleting their nest eggs now and they're living off their earnings to people that are just getting started. Our 25 year old son, he's a fireman. I'm like, go set up a Roth IRA and start investing money. You know, if I had done that back then, looking forward, like where we would be now, it just is incredible. So I have this passion to to educate people and I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not an accountant or an attorney, but I can tell you there's a lot of opportunity in real estate and you can be active, you can be passive. And so here I am 19 years later and lots of gray hairs, but you know, I have (laughs) relationships with people I've done business with for 19 years and now their kids come to me and it's just, it's addicting and it's, it's satisfying to see that we are literally changing people's lives. They have generational wealth. They're not going to deplete their nest eggs and wonder, you know, when they're 80 years old, how they're going to pay for assisted living. You know, they have a plan and now they're earning passive income. So um, the funny thing is I went to college to be a teacher and my kids will tell you, I would have been the worst teacher. I sucked at that. <laughs> so, well, you're, you're you know, still using the teacher skills just in a different somebody way. Somebody said now. that to me the yeah. other day. Yeah, I just don't teach children. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, here I am. <laughs> there, 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 there could be some who argue that you're still teaching children, but that's. Well, yeah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, first of all, uh, before we go further, Jonathan, I just became a firefighter 48 hours ago. So that's Congratulations. awesome. Thank you. It's vol- we have a volunteer department out here in uh, Haldeman County and I'm wow. officially uh, a part of it. So I'm really proud of I that. I told my I- husband, if he wasn't 54 and had to t- make a career change, he should be a fireman. My son calls me. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, you know, we're watching motocross. We just got back from a call or, or he's not working. And I go, why are you not working? Well, it's a Kelly day. I go, what does that mean? He says, I get paid and I don't have to work. I'm like, oh my God. And he's like, and I'm going to do real estate now. It's like you're 25 <laughs> years old, full-time fireman. It's like, it, and it's admirable. I mean, they deserve it. That is a hard job. It's not for everybody, yeah. but I'm pretty proud of him. No, it's uh, one of the highest forms of service you can pay to any community you're a part of. So um, moving on from that, you covered a whole bunch of things, but let's (laughs) let's go right to the the hardest part of it all is helping understand people, uh, helping people understand the Roth IRA uh, strategy for Canadians. That would be the same as a tax free savings account. Can you tell a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing to understand is, you know, there's two different IRAs in the United States for us. There's a traditional IRA, which you're going to get a tax deduction now making your contributions on a yearly basis. Um, And I think, I think right now, I'd have to look it up. It just changed for 2023. I think the maximum contribution in either of them is $7,000, which isn't super exciting and sexy, right? But the Roth IRA, you put in dollars that have already been taxed, but when you pull that money out down the road, it's tax-free. And the whole goal with those types of accounts is not to put $7,000 a year into it and hope in 20 years, you know, you have a substantial amount of money. It's to deploy that capital. And the ways that you can do that is through real estate assets. You can, in the United States, you could buy a piece of real estate in your Roth IRA. You could turn around and sell that piece of real estate And the profits flow back into your IRA tax deferred or tax free if it's a Roth, right? And there's some things that go along with it. We won't get too far into the weeds, but that's how you grow those IRA accounts massive, right? It's not the goal to, you know, keep $7,000 a year in there and make your minimum contributions. The goal is get it working for you. I mean, run the numbers if you're getting 10% yields on that in 15 years. What does that look like? And compound those earnings. So, you know, one, it's a tax strategy. We all want to pay less taxes, but we also want to create wealth in a, in a tax 
environment that's more sheltered or deferred. And with Roth IRAs in the United States, your kids that inherit those Roths when you pass away, they also don't pay taxes on it. So they're they're just powerful. And and I think that that's one of the things we try to get the message out there. Um, in the United States, we have what are called 401ks and essentially they're an employee sponsored retirement plan. Like our company matches our employees contributions up to a certain amount into these 401ks. And what I find with a lot of people is they'll leave an employer and then they leave that 401k sitting there. Well, now that you don't work for that employer anymore, now you could take that 401k, you could hypothetically roll it to a Roth and now you can start investing it with what's called a self-directed custodian. So instead of relying on your money manager, your financial advisor, who's probably charging you out the nose for a management fee, now you can dictate where you invest it. You could call me up and say, hey, Heather, I moved that $50,000 401k. It's with a self-directed custodian. I want to put money in your fund. Our fund's been yielding 8 to 10%. I can tell you my 401k right now is not yielding that. So <laughs> it's, it's a way for people to be more tax efficient, but then also with the self-directed component with it, now you're dictating where to invest in. And I, I think you see this wave, you guys probably see this, people are so educated now. They're on podcasts like this, they're on webinars, they're taking their you know, um, destiny in their own hands and educating themselves and realizing that, you know, like I said, my parents always just told me, you call your financial advisor up. That, that isn't the only option out there. And, and there's way to, ways to diversify. Well, just, just well, what you're saying, just what you're oh, saying gosh. there, I'm going to jump in on the, on <laughs> what you were saying about people with the, with, I'll say the retirement plan through their employer. Most people don't realize that when they actually either do retire or leave, they've got a, well, if they're retiring, they've got a certain window where they can take that and self-direct it right. and off as, or they can, or if they don't, they go to the, the call it just, Hey, here's your fixed income. This is what you're getting for the next, basically until you pass away. Oh, yeah. As opposed to if they could get that in a lump sum and self-direct it and you look at the numbers. Oh, I know. Some, some of those can be worth a few million dollars today that if you can self-direct that, would you could probably make three times the income and still have this, this cash value when you retire. And again, I'm not a financial advisor, but but it's just the one thing that uh, to, to definitely look at, especially especially as you're approaching for people who are listening, who are approaching that retirement age or looking to leave the employer, look at that stuff before it gets locked into something. Cause then it's locked in. Right. My mother-in-law is a perfect example. And, you know, I'm sure you guys are the same with giving advice with friends and family. It's a slippery slope, right? She, she informed us that her financial advisor was taking her IRA. Um, she, I think she was getting like four or 5% on it. And, you know, she lives off of that where, you know, in reality, she could probably have rolled it over to us, be getting 10% on her money. That's double. But instead, she was getting her measly like three to 5%. And, and recently, it's probably been less than that because the stock market's not been performing. And then she was taking a distribution on her IRA to live off of it. So she has taken this account that had substantial money in it and depleted it over the last four. The, this is the advice this guy gave her. Well, every month, we're going to pull X amount of dollars out of this account to make up the difference because it's performing so poorly so that you can afford to live. It was like, oh my God. Who he doesn't get paid on taking it to you. Well, yeah. And that's, <laughs> and that's the challenge, right? You know, but I think that the, the tables have turned. I mean, people are tired of just going with the norm and, you know, they're, they're taking their financial situations into their own hands now. And, and I love that, you know, we, I tell you, 90% of our clients that invest money with us do it with some kind of a self-directed IRA or 401k. It's very common. Um, just for uh, our listeners on the north side of the border here, uh, 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 401k would be exactly the same as a company-contributed registered retirement savings plan. And it sounds to me, which I just learned here, that a regular IRA would be the same as a regular registered uh, retirement savings plan. So that's cool because there, there's such uh, similarities, both north and south of the border. One of the other big ones I'm excited about is the fact that you function on, on the Canadian side of the border. We have something called a mortgage investment corporation, which is a okay. pooled mortgage fund where people can invest, make a, say an 8, 10, 12%, uh, depending on uh, how they they lend out their money, whether it's uh, first position, second position mortgage, mm -hmm. they get higher uh higher earnings. Do you guys do a pooled fund? I was on your site. I was looking and it looks like you guys have individual uh, homes that you can lend on as well. I'm really interested in how you're structured that way. 
Yeah, we, we do a little bit of both. So I, I think the place to start would be to talk about the structure of our funds. So we do have funds. And um, at least in the United States, historically, those kind of real estate funds were typically only available to what they call accredited investors. So these were people that had to qualify either through their assets. So they had to have at least a million dollars in assets, excluding their, their home, um, or they had to have really high income, $200,000 a year as an individual or 300 as a married couple. So for a long time, what we call the securities and exchange, which is kind of the federal government's way of, of protecting the consumer. They said that those are the only people that can invest in a real estate fund because they're real risky. You know, they're a lot more risky than the stock market, which I think is hilarious. Um, <laughs> we still get we that get up here too. Weeds. Yeah, we won't get into the weeds <laughs> with that. Um, and so about four years ago, they changed some of the rules and they said, okay, you know, fund operators like us, so people that manage funds, if you want to open a fund up, you can allow what they call unaccredited investors into it, but we're going to limit how much they can put into it because we're going to protect them. And so we have these two funds and the way that our funds make money, and you, you talked a little bit about that, is th they are a, I call them hybrid. So they're part debt which means we lend money out of it. So we'll, we'll create a note, we'll lend, you know, Jeff, you could come to me and say, hey, I found this house in New Jersey, I wanna fix and flip it. If the numbers make sense and you, you go through our underwriting criteria, we would lend you money on that house. And the fund makes money because every month when you make your interest payments, that money goes into the, the fund profit pool and all of our investors that invest money in the fund, that's how they make earnings off of their investment. We also, acquire property. So we'll go buy real estate, but only in our local market. So then we juice the yields. We'll go buy a house, fix and flip it. The profits flow back in. And so really it's a way for people that, you know, I got a lot of clients that are like, I love real estate. I do not want to call from a tenant in the middle of the night that their toilet's plugged up. I don't want to deal with a contractor. I'd rather let you deal with the headaches of it, but I still reap the rewards of it. And I'm going to just invest money in your fund. So it is a pool. It's a, it's a, it's two funds. We've got about close to 40 million between the two funds and our passive investors invest money in there. We manage it on behalf of them and then they get paid returns on it. And then we have the ability to, to, you know, um, service our really active people, our guys that like the real estate, they're out there buying it. They're, they own, you know, rentals. We only lend in a first lien position. So we don't do any seconds, um, and it's always focused around residential. So anything single family up to four units is, is really our niche, but it always has to be non-owner occupied. It has to be an investment property. We won't lend to, you know, Jonathan, if he's going to live in it or if his kids are going to live in it, um, and short-term debt. So more than, no more than 12 months. We're a bridge lender. So your, your focus then is really invest investors, either you're taking the money and investing directly, or you are working with the investors, the people, and because you're, you're 12 months, you're typically looking with the, the fix and flip, which could be the person who's either looking to fix and sell it or rehab, then they're going to rent it out. And yep. at which, at which case they would probably go to a more traditional lender where, where they could get terms that are probably, I mean, at that point, they're not in the private right. mortgage market. Yeah, more favorable terms. If they're going to hold it, they're not going to, I mean, they're not very sophisticated if they're going to hold it with the cost of our capital, but we fill a niche, right? Like yeah. most, you you know this, most banks aren't going to lend on a distressed property. They want to see it fixed up. They want to see a tenant in it for 12 months and, and, you know, make sure that it's cash flowing. So yeah, we fill that kind of that, that short-term need where we can, we'll look at a distressed property and say, yeah, looks like you have value there if you do X, Y, Z. And then we make sure that they actually get the rehab done. We're going to do draws and inspections and make sure that they stay on track with the project. You know, and, and the goal is at the end, they have a improved property. And, and like you said, I mean, mostly in the, in the past, it's been fix and flip. But as you guys all know, the markets have shifted very quickly here. So we see a lot more people trying to hold them and rent them and cash flow them. Okay, I'm going to nerd out on the structure here because this is totally my my niche that I absolutely <laughs> love this. So, um, and and to help people understand, it's different for us. We uh, when we lend a mortgage, we're lending an actual mortgage. You're calling it a lien. Can you uh, explain what the difference would be there? They're the same thing. Um, yeah, in okay. the United States, every county is different, and and if you're gonna 
if you're going to borrow money against a piece of real estate, we're going to file a lien against the property and it's either going to be a mortgage or a deed of trust. It's, it's essentially the same thing. It's leaning the property. That's now the security for us. So if our borrower doesn't make their payments, we now can legally go in and foreclose on them. Um, but it's essentially the same thing. But typically it's either a mortgage or a deed of trust. And then when you record that at the county level, now there's a lien against the property um, and it's a public record. Um. Okay. Sorry. There's a bunch you said there that I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself <laughs> and my thoughts here. So um, the foreclosure process, how long does that take? Oh boy. That's the thousand dollar question. <laughs> it depends on the County. It, so in the United States, we have what's called judicial and non-judicial foreclosures. Uh, and one takes a little longer. I'd say right now we're seeing average foreclosures is probably about 12 months. Um, there's a couple states that are pretty quick. Texas is very fast uh, to foreclose. We love to lend in Texas, not because we want to foreclose, but the reality is that's our asset. And if someone's not making their payments, we want to get it back as quick as we can. Uh, Missouri seems to be really fast right now, too. But some of your other states like New York and Florida, they take forever to foreclose in. Uh, but I'd say anywhere from eight to 12 months is pretty standard for a foreclosure process. That's, that's uncontested. That means a borrower doesn't come back and file bankruptcy or try to stall the foreclosure. Um, but honestly, with our borrowers, they come into these deals with equity. We don't lend them more than 70% of the value. So if that house is worth a hundred grand, we're not lending them more than 70 grand. So more often than not, they have sweat equity. They have their cash into it, their time. They, they don't normally just walk away. It doesn't mean we don't ever foreclose because we do. It's typically under 2%. But what tends to happen, they don't make payments. 45 days goes by and we aren't hearing from them. We're going to send them a, a, a demand letter basically saying, you know, heads up, you're going in foreclosure. Most of the time it gets their attention pretty quick. And what we try to do with our clients, because a lot of these people we lend money to, some are repeats, some are students of ours. A lot of times it's like, hey, what's going on? Let us help you through this. We don't want to, we don't want to take their property back. Um, if we did, we'd just go buy them. We wouldn't lend the money. We'd just buy real estate. Um, and so a lot of times it's, it's a matter of really kind of coaching them and like, okay, your contractor took off. Well, here's another contractor. Maybe you can try him or why don't you just sell it if you're in over your head or, Hey, your tenants aren't paying. Well, unfortunately you still got to service your debt, like get another tenant in there. And so, I mean, honestly, most of the time we, we, we have some kind of resolution, but, you know, there are times that they ghost us and they're kiting rents where they're, you know, collecting rents and not paying us. And unfortunately, we have to get attorneys involved. But we have so we have an in-house servicing department. We service about 450 notes and we literally all of us are in the same building. I can walk right downstairs and know exactly who's paying, who's not paying, why they're not paying. So um, we have a pretty good pulse on what's going on with our assets, which is important. You know, it's. Private money is not a perfect scenario. Not everybody, you know, is successful and, you know, but we, we need to protect the fund and our investors. So we need to move quick on, on problem accounts like that. So I, I know Jess got more questions. One thing I want to jump in on and cause you, you said it and it's something that, that a lot of people don't realize. And it's something I like to point out and this is my experience. And, and that is, in this particular situation, you're not looking to own the property. You're truly looking to lend. And if someone, if you're, you've lent money to someone, and if they actually, I'll say, proactively came to you and say, here's a situation, can you help me? What would your answer be? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, <laughs> I had one yesterday. So our team meets every single week on our assets. <clears throat> and we had a borrower. She's in over her head. She over rehabbed a project. She's ran out of money to make her payments. She has a little bit of money left in rehab, but I said, hey, here's the deal. We're not gonna start foreclosure, but these are the things that I want you to go do. You have a price too high. She had the house like $50,000 too high. We know the markets. It's like, you're never gonna sell that. Um, unfortunately, she got the seller to carry back a second, which most of the time when sellers carry back second, it's to finagle numbers with a lender, right? It's, hey, 
you want to sell it for this much, but my lender's only going to lend me X amount of dollars. Why don't you carry a second? And a lot of times, you know, sellers that carry second, in my opinion, should be able to just walk away because it's probably a 50-50 chance they're going to get paid, right? They, they did that because the numbers didn't make sense. They were selling it too high. But she has a guy that has a second. I said, you need to call him up and you need to let him know that we are about to foreclose. But the reality is for us as a lender, that guy might step up and buy us out or he might just forgive it and then she can drop the price. But, you know, she needed to take some action is my point. Like, we're not going to just forgive this and walk away and, and bend over backwards for you. You need to take some responsibility in this. So she did drop the price. Um, we made a couple payments for it. She had a little bit of money left over from the rehab. You know, we don't want to take it back from her. I'd like her to get out of it and, and use it as a lesson. I'm telling you right now, any real estate investor that tells you they haven't had a, a loss is probably not being honest. <laughs> We've all had those deals that you're like, oh, I'm never doing that again. You know, and, and chalk it up to experience. Like, I bet you she won't do the same thing the next deal she does. Um, but we are, and even our lenders, because I think, Jeff, you mentioned it, we sell our paper too. So some of our clients are really active guys. They're like, I don't want to be in your fund because I have no control. I only want deals out of Florida or I only want deals at 10%. And so those kind of guys typically buy notes from us. But even those guys aren't really in this to foreclose. You know, they will. That's the risk. But they'd rather get their interest payments and have you pay them off. They don't, you know, necessarily want to spend 12 months not getting payments and pay a bunch of legal fees. So even, even those kind of people, they're so willing to work with these clients as long as they communicate. And I think that's the biggest thing, Jonathan. Like, we get the ones that put their heads in the sand. It's like, you have to tell us what's going on. You can't not communicate. We can't help you. I can't help you if I don't know what's going on. So um, we are very proactive with these people and, and willing to just about do anything to help them get out. And, and now, as, a, as a borrower, I'll just say, be proactive. Be, yeah. be, be ahead of the curve. Okay, Jeff, over to you. That's all I got to say on there. You You're said it, and so I want to quiet. <laughs> well, the reason I'm, I'm asking questions like this, like we're talking about worst case scenario here. Um, sorry, how many notes do you have in that, that pool right now? Uh, we have about 450 notes right now. So out of that 2% or less are going to default in any given year. So yeah. I would say a 90 98% success rate pretty oh, high. Yeah. The yeah. reason I, I'm, I'm going in this vein is because it, like, yeah, like what you guys are doing and, and we do here in Canada, I think this is a great alternative to fixed income assets, especially for, we're not supposed to say it, and I, because I don't have a license, I don't care. Um, Jonathan can't say things like this, but I think it's great for seniors. Yeah. And and we were, we were talking about this, um, <clears throat> not depleting your assets, who's getting eight to 10% income a year on their investments. I remember years ago, my mom passed away and I inherited some money and my stepdad, I, you know, I said, I'm, you know what, I'm going to go make 8% on my money. He looked at me and said, oh, 8%, where are you going to get returns like that? And scoffed and walked away. And I'm like, you have no idea what's out there. And, and it, like you said, people don't, people that are invested in it, they hold it like it's the best kept secret restaurant in the neighborhood and they don't want the seats filled up, but they don't realize it's a really big basket. Yeah. But what, um, what really protects the, the investors that come into your fund is A, the underwriting process, but B, um, and I, this is where I wanted to nerd out a little bit. When you register that note, are they registered directly on that note or is it the fund that's, that's registered there and they're registered to the fund? That's a really good question. So when we, yes, when we I got it. That is <laughs> a great question. And, and I love talking about this because there are people out there that sell participation notes, which I'll go into is not what we do. Um, and so when we originate the note, the fund is the lender. Secured Investment High Yield Fund is the lender. There's a, a mortgage recorded against that property. If Jeff were to come to me and buy that note from me, we're going to assign our interest in the promissory note and the mortgage. And it's important to do both. And I get people that I'll call and say, I don't want a mortgage. I just want a note. They go hand in hand. A promissory note is the borrower's promise to repay the loan, and it outlines all the specifics, what the interest rate is, what the maturity date is, what their payment schedule is. You know, that could be monthly, quarterly. Maybe they pay it all off when they pay the loan off, whatever the case may be. It's their promise to repay the loan. The mortgage is the lien that 
recognizes the promissory note and is a public record. That's what you foreclose on and they go hand in hand. So when you buy a note from us, we take that mortgage and we assign our interest to you. If you bought it with your IRA, it's going to be Jeff's IRA. That's going to be the public record lien. And, and so now you are by, by record, the lien holder against the property. There are companies out there, I won't name any names, they sell what's called participation. That means that you might buy a note from them, but you're just participating in the note. You are not the lien holder against that. Their fund or whoever the entity is, is still the lien holder. And so you're really funding a promise from them that they're going to pass through that promissory note interest and payments to you. You're not of record. So we do record the mortgage. You are officially, legally the lien holder. And let's say your guy quit paying. We have no interest in it. We were paid off. We've been collecting for you. We do keep what's called an interest strip, which is a difference between the note rate and what we pay you. So we, we have a vested interest in the payments. That's why we service everything and we want them to perform. But by law, if you were to foreclose, we get nothing. We've already got our principal back. You are now the, the registered owner of that property if you foreclose and take it back. And do you offer the pooled option where it's not just one property, where you go across several? Um, we do. That's called here. It's called cross collateralization. So we do some loans from time to time where we will collateralize multiple properties if they're all in the same county. And so whatever the 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 collateral is for that mortgage, you would you you are assigned your interest in that to us. On the flip side of it, in our funds, you know, let's say you've got a hundred grand to invest. You could buy one note from us, right? Which is great. You control it. You're the lien holder. You get to call all the shots. If you compare it to putting money in the fund, you could take that hundred grand in the fund. Now your hundred grand is diversified over, you know, 200 notes. Um, the fund is set up as an entity. It's an LLC and you are an equity owner in that LLC. <clears throat> our company is simply the manager of it. We don't have any ownership in the fund. So all of that debt in there is in the funds LLC's name. You are an equity owner. So it's the same thing. Hmm. But like I tell people, you're a little more diversified. You're not as hands-on. You're not going to get calls from me, from my servicing team saying, hey, Jeff, your guy's not paying. What do you want to do? But, you know, for the people that like notes, they're a little more hands-on. They're a little more risk adverse. They're of the opinion, hey, that house is worth a hundred grand, all in 70. And if I take it back, great, I might have a $30,000 upside to it. Um, so it's just two different appetites. And, and some of our clients do both. You know, they, I will tell you this, our CEO loves to buy notes in his IRA <laughs> because if he lends that guy 70 grand and that worth house is worth a hundred and he forecloses on it, that $30,000 potential upside flows back into his IRA tax deferred. That's how you get around the minimum maximum contributions in your IRA. That is not a contribution. That is an investment. You made a profit on it and it flows back into your IRA. That's how you grow those types of tax deferred accounts big. And no capital gains on it. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I it's a brilliant strategy. I, I don't know what the registration process is for that for you guys. I know that we have to go through separate trust companies here in Canada to do it. Yeah. Um, but the self-directed TFSA, self-directed RRSP is, uh, there's a fee to it to work with those trust companies right. to do it, but it's kind of minimal compared to what the potential is. Well, and it keeps people out of trouble. We Same thing here. They're called custodians. So there's all these different companies that will help you set up self-directed accounts. And like I tell people, they're there for you to protect you. They put the guardrails up because what you don't want to do is do something that's what they call prohibited. And then they try to unwind your IRA and you have to pay taxes on it. There are some there are opportunities in the States where you can do what's called a checkbook IRA. So you basically are managing it. But I have talked to more people that get themselves in trouble with that because they don't understand the laws of it. And it's important to make sure you're not doing things that are prohibited. So I always tell people, unless you're super sophisticated and you want to manage all that, spend the money and have a custodian do it for you. And it, it keeps you out of trouble. Now, I know you mentioned uh, states like Texas and Missouri and uh, a few others, but are you guys nationwide when you look at deals? So on the debt side of things, 
pretty much. There's a handful of states we stay out of because of licensing issues. But we, you know, again, we're not doing owner occupied. So Jonathan can probably appreciate this. We don't have to have all these crazy licenses. There's like California, we're licensed in Arizona. But um, on the debt side of things, we lend just about nationwide. Uh, and then, but the houses that we buy, that we acquire, we only do that local. We're pretty big sticklers about people trying to invest from, you know, five states away and trying to manage a contractor. So we try to practice what we preach. If we tell our borrowers, this is what we like to lend against, this is where we want you to be. We also do that with our own portfolio. So we we acquire properties in the state of Washington and the state of Idaho, because that's where we're located. No, that's cool. And do you guys stick to urban centers, kind of tertiary markets? Are you out in the, the sticks? Yeah. Uh, we will lend rural. Um, we're not totally opposed to that. I think our biggest like kind of <clears throat> rule of thumb is single family up to four units. So we'll do a fourplex, we'll do a duplex, but we want residential, obviously non-owner occupied. And then the other big thing for us is we stay under the FHA cap. Are you, you familiar with what that is? No. Okay. So in the States, there's what they call the federal housing authority cap and every County is different. So it depends on the location in the States, the FHA cap. If you are under that, there is a lot more mortgage programs for like first time home buyers. So your, your database. So basically the federal government is guaranteeing those loans. So they are a little more lenient with borrowers that are buying property. So your database and your pool of buyers, if you're under the FHA cap is probably double what it is if you get over the FHA cap. So when you're over the FHA cap, you're into jumbo home loans, high-end mm. multi-million dollar homes. We like the affordable housing market space because honestly, if you had to take something back, you have a lot more ways to pivot, you know, you can cash flow them, you know, especially given the market we're in, if you take something back and you can't sell it for what it was worth two years ago or 12 months ago, for that matter, you could cash flow it and rent it, you know, especially like three bedrooms, two baths. Those are nice little rentals. And it gives our borrowers a, another option, right? Like we have clients that borrowed money from us 10 months ago and they're like, oh, geez, like, this isn't a penciling out like I thought it was. I, I took too long to rehab it. And we're like, get a tenant in it because you're going to get better rents than you ever could have. You can keep servicing your debt. Wait till the market comes back. Wait till interest rates go down if they ever do go down again um, and then sell it. You know, so that's how we're always looking like you got to have multiple exit strategies. You can't be so hung up on the fact that six months ago this was this was working and this was the strategy and fixing and flipping was the bread and butter because things just change so quick in the market. Uh, is the same thing happened in your market than in ours where rents have increased significantly from what they were? Oh yeah. It's crazy. Yes, it has. And so like for us, we used to just buy and fix and flip like two years ago. I mean, it was easy. Like you, you'd have to be a fool not to make money off of fix and flip. Like it was so easy. Um, but the margins have changed, right? Now, the prices to, to resell aren't as high as they were, but then you run the, the ROI on a cash flowing rental because the rents have increased. There's a joke in the States that says, what does a real estate investor turn into in a downturn market? They turn into a landlord. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. So to answer that's your question, great. yes. But, but, but just back to what you're saying about being able to pivot, and that's that's one of the big things. It's, it's one of the reasons why I love real estate, because there are multiple avenues you can oh, go so down, many. but it's about not being fixed and not being fixed. And this is the only way I do things and being able to pivot when, oh, wait, the market's changed. Now, yeah. what else can I do with this property? How How can I... I mean, because we will get to a point where, where the appreciation starts becoming there again. And, and yeah, now the appreciation is there. Now you can sell it. But the beauty is, especially rents have gone up, then hey, right. hold, hold it in the interim. Get more cash flow off it during this time. Get, get your debt paid down using the, using the rent you've got coming in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we are experiencing the same thing. We're kind of where we personally are located. We're pretty sheltered. I mean, we haven't seen. I mean. The Idaho market is just nuts. I mean, we have tons of people moving here from the cities, you know, Seattle, California, even Portland, Oregon, for that matter. You know, people are, they work remote now. COVID changed everything, right? People don't have to be in offices and, you know, people have sold homes in like the California market for crazy money and came up here and paid cash, which 
now locals are selling because they're making more money than they ever would have on these homes, but now they need a, they're displaced because they can't afford to buy because the values have gone, you know, but as an investor, we're like, oh, heck yeah, let's, let's buy some rentals, you know, because there's a, there's a housing shortage. So, um, but like you said, you have to pivot and that's, that's what we do here. I mean, we meet multiple, probably too many times a week we meet. I mean, I think I live in meetings, but it's about that kind of stuff. Like, oh God, okay, let's pivot. What are we going to do here? What are we going to do here? So it's important to have a pulse on it. So let's talk about, uh, interest rates. Cause everybody's talking about that nowadays. Now right. I, I'm, I'm going to say, because Jonathan, you know, interest rates aren't uh, the most important thing necessarily at all times. I think profit is when it comes mm-hmm. to being a real estate investor. Um, but how has that changed your business model over the last six months? Yeah, well, I think that's like the topic of conversation with everybody. One, we're not going back to two and three percent. That wasn't normal interest rates. Like mm-hmm. That was just dumb money. Um, and I, you know, we believe that it's probably going to stay at around five or six for a while, but it's a numbers game, right? Like my son is a perfect example. He's 25, wants to buy his first house. He goes, everybody at the fire station tells me not to buy it. The rates are too high. I go, okay, but you're going to buy a house for a hundred grand less than you could have even 12 months ago. You buy it now, you, you finance it at five and a half, six percent. And then when rates come down, you go refinance it but you bought a house for a hundred grand less than your fire buddy did even six months ago. Like it's relative. So honestly, we've seen the sale of houses. So like, for example, October through December, we didn't sell a lot of our houses. It was pretty quiet around here. One, it's winter here. I mean, we're snowed in and you know, two, what we've seen is you've got people that probably would have upgraded their houses a year or two years ago, but they're at interest rates of probably two and 3%. And and they just can't swallow the fact that they're going to pay six, you know, and, and they also haven't came to terms with the fact that they're not going to sell their house for what they could have 12 months ago, you know? And so they're kind of just sitting on the sidelines and not selling and not buying. We're starting to see the market loosen up. Houses are selling again. You know, we're getting deals under contract. We're seeing people that we tried to buy houses from six months ago come back to us and like, yeah, your offer wasn't that bad. And it was like, well, now it's less. You should have took our offer six months ago. (laughs) But you know what I mean? I think everybody's mentality hasn't caught up with reality, you know, and they're just, you know, that mentality, oh, rates are six. Oh my gosh, I'm not financing anything. It's like, but you're buying a house for a lot less than you could have. So it doesn't bother us. We, we see it as an opportunity for us, honestly. I mean, mm-hmm. we're excited about it as a, as a big fund. We're excited that we're going to buy houses for a lot less than we would have 12 months ago. Um, and, and we're probably going to sit on them and cash flow them. And when the markets come back and people come to terms with the fact that interest rates are probably going to stay at five and six, then we'll start selling them again. Well, the, the reality is, is, is our rates are just back to, I'll call it the pre-2008 levels right now. I know. Yeah. It's crazy. We got memory. spoiled. Yeah. Well, yeah. we've had, we've had 15 years where, as you say, the two, 3% stuff has been unrealistic, but because of all kinds of things happening all over the world over the last 15 years with the last one being COVID that, that got us to, I'll call it the stupid levels below 2%. Yeah. That's what people have become conditioned to. Right. Yeah. It's crazy, but we're excited about it. We're like, I said, things are starting to loosen up with selling some of our properties. You know, one of the areas we've done really well with is selling turnkeys um, because people have needed a place to put their money. So in the States, there's something called a 1031 exchange. So that means if you have an investment property and you sell it instead of paying capital gains on it, as long as you go buy another investment property, you defer your capital gains. And so you've got pretty high net worth individuals. Like we deal with a lot of dentists where they'll sell their practice. A lot of times they own the building. So they'll sell the real estate. And I mean, they, they have a pretty big payday when they do that. And they're looking for opportunities to move that money through a 1031 exchange. They like turnkeys. They don't want to manage them. We manage them. So they love it. They're like, heck yeah, I'll buy a turnkey from you guys. I'm deferring my capital gains. You guys manage the asset and the tenants and I reap the benefits of it. So that, you know, it's, it goes back again, Jonathan to pivoting, right? Like we, you got to look at all these opportunities. And so that's one of the areas we've also seen some, an increase interest in is buying our turnkey properties. 
So let's talk about um, fees. When people mm-hmm. invest with you, they, so I have so many more questions left. And I only have not 11 minutes. Jonathan, you're not allowed to talk anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. You can talk, Jonathan. Um, <laughs> how do you guys get paid? And yeah. does that come from the, uh, let's say somebody puts money into your uh, uh, um, investment fund. Uh, I saw it's a 9% return on your high yield uh, fund. How much of that do they actually get as a net return? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. So the way that we get paid for managing the funds is we get paid a management fee. So when we go and pay out our earnings, so that particular fund we pay out every quarter. So we pay first out of the profit is a management fee paid first. It's 1.75%. That's annualized. So that's not every quarter. That's over four quarters. And then we have to hit that 9%. It's called a preferred rate of return. So just for full transparency, it is not a guarantee. It's not any different than any other investment. But then what it does guarantee you is that you as the investor get the next nine. So we don't get paid anything after uh, before that. We get the management fee. The 9% has to be hit on a quarterly basis. And then all profit after that is split 50-50 with us. We're the fund manager. So I tell people like, you don't have to invest with us, but if you're out there looking at funds, ask how they get paid. It's really important to understand. If they're trying to pay front load things and pay themselves a bunch of the money, and I'll be honest, a 1.75% management fee hardly covers the admin, the cost of staff. I mean, we we have 110 employees here. Like mm-hmm. it takes, there are a lot of working parts to managing a fund. There's legal, there's servicing, accounting, like I could go on. Um, and so we're very motivated because that's how we get profitable. If, if we're only hitting nine, like we're terrible fund managers and we're not going to be in the fund business very long. Like you just can't function that way. So we want it above nine. And then that, again, that profit is split 50, 50. What is really neat about our funds too, is we have a lot of clients that use IRAs, like we were talking about. And most of the time, they're not at an age where they're they're trying to live off of it. They just want to grow those accounts real big, fast. They can actually reinvest their earnings every quarter. So every quarter, we roll back their earnings, their equity increases, and now they create that compounding effect. I ran some numbers for a guy this morning based off of five years, and he's like, oh, my God, I had no idea it was that powerful. Like, I just didn't even think of that. And with those IRA accounts, the the challenge is, is people will invest and then they get these dollars going back and forth in there and they just sit there and they're getting charged for it and it's not put to work. So most of our clients will reinvest, but for our clients that like want cash flow, maybe they're retired or, you know, want additional income, they can also get their earnings paid out on a quarterly basis. So I don't, I hope that explains it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, no, it's interesting. I, I I love learning how fee structures work. On the other side, as a borrower, how what what kind of interest rate do these uh, borrowers look at? I would say on average, the range is going to be eight, 8% on up to probably 12% and one to two points. And one, and two, one to two points is origination fees. And there's mm-hmm. obviously other fees that we don't have control over, you know, closing costs and title and that kind of stuff. Um, but I would say our average rate is probably 11, 10 to 11% and a point, you know, we don't charge prepayment, prepayment penalties, meaning if they pay us off early, congratulations, we hope they come back to us. There are a lot of lenders will say, Hey, I'm not going to lend you money unless I get a guaranteed six months of interest payments from you. We don't do that. We want them coming back. So we're pretty, we're pretty competitive in the space. But like I think Jonathan mentioned, people that are holding properties, they're not holding our money forever. This is a very short-term bridge product, um, and it really just helps them accomplish buying distressed properties and to get rehab funds. Well, just the way you said it, you're set, you're set up catering specifically to investors. And the fact that you don't charge penalties to get out of it says that you're really looking for investors, and you're looking for investors who want to keep coming yes. back. Yep. And we have a lot of borrowers that come back to us over and and it's just turn and burn. You know, they'll have a couple deals on the books with us. They get paid off. They're out buying another one. You know, we try to mitigate loss by like, we don't want to over leverage it and and lend one guy more money, you know, than we should, you know, we were very mindful of that, but yeah, we like those repeat types of clients. So I know in Canada that uh, somebody who wants to invest in this type of pooled mortgage fund or, or a similar entity, we call them 
uh, MIEs, mortgage investment entities, because there are a, a range of them. Uh, they have to go through an exempt market dealer. Uh, do you guys have a similar licensing structure that somebody has to go through that's a, a non-accredited? Yeah, so they can invest in our funds. They really just have to have a way up for us to report their earnings is is the big catch for us. So some of them will get what's called an I-10 or, or if they set up some kind of an LLC in the United States and they get an EIN number, that's the biggest thing for us. We don't have to have them go through a broker dealer um, unless like maybe they have their retirement accounts in, in Canada and, and they're, you know, that is required, but from our end, it's not required on our end. We really just need to be able to report their earnings. Wow. That's so cool. How do people find you? How do people find us? Um, so they can always go to our website at securedinvestmentcorp.com. I'm also going to give you guys a link when we get done. We've got a free book giveaway just about alternative assets. Um, and so I'll make sure and get you guys that link and maybe you can post it on your feed. Um, Absolutely. We'd love to talk with them. You know, it's myself and I've got four other team members. And so we're very hands-on and they can get access to me through the website, Secured Investment Corp. Uh, and, you know, we'd love to just kind of educate people, like, like I said earlier, and, you know, um, if they want to dive a little deeper into it and explore, you know, what it means to invest with us, we'd love to have those conversations. If they're active real estate investors, and they are looking to borrow funds on properties in the States, so we will lend to non-U.S. citizens as long as they have an entity set up, uh, they can also get a hold of us there, so we can help them with their funding stuff. Nice. Nice. Um, no, this is cool. I wrote a book a few years ago called Private Financing for Real Estate Investors. So, oh, nice. Yeah, I, I look forward to reading yours. Um, yeah, thanks so much for being on here. This is Gosh, I it was fun. I love interviews like this where I get to nerd out because, A, I just learned while we were listening. This is something that Jonathan and I have, you know, we're very deeply tied into the industry on the north side of the border. But on the south side, it works just slightly different. And thank you so much for educating us. I know that anybody's listening probably might not have gotten all of it, but Jonathan and I were enthralled the entire time. So thanks so much, Heather. I appreciate you. Oh, you guys are great hosts. You make it fun. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much. And I got uh, two twice you said good question. We talked about that be uh, before we came on where that's always my goal to get that uh, said to me before we we do this so thank you so much i appreciate you heather dreaves from secured investment corp if you guys want to get hold of them we'll make sure to post uh, the link to their website as well as the link to the book that heather's going to send to us so thank you so much heather appreciate your time jonathan always appreciate you sir and this time you just you you were trying to steal my thunder uh, <laughs> no, this was such a a great conversation and i know both of us had a ton of questions we wanted to ask you once we saw your uh, your profile come up. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to know more about Jonathan and I, you can always go to a mortgageplan.com or guide to the grind.com. We have some stuff up there for uh, educating clients, realtors, a whole bunch of people uh, can get a whole bunch of information from us at those places. Have a fantastic day again, Heather. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We will see you soon.